Welcome to the Obsession Digression, a podcast that explores all the cultural things we're obsessed with. I'm Sam Anarchik, and I'm Katie Walker. Uh, Yay! Katie, <laughs> how are you? Completely different affective yeah. <laughs> beginnings to this, yeah, this right. podcast. I was like, "Yeah, let's do this," and you're just I don't like, know, uh, just like sigh forlornly. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Why the sigh? Oh, no real reason. Just, yeah. Just like, mmm, dead air, make a noise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel you on that. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel that way even just in, like, normal situations where people are just too quiet, you know? I'm like, ho-hum, I cannot stand silence. <laughs> I've been sighing a lot recently at the prospect of walking up yet another insanely steep hill. <laughs> Mm. This is like one thing I still like refuse to just like mentally accept about San Francisco is that you are never (laughs) walking on like a flat path. You're either walking on like a steep incline or decline. (laughs) And so like this morning when I walked down to get like a breakfast burrito, like I'm like, if I go down there and pay someone to make me breakfast and coffee, like I have to walk all the way back up. Like, are you sure Uh, you're ready for this? But I bet you're like your your calves are just like bulging at this point Pretty right much. they're just like dude this is, <laughs> you've got okay. like postman legs now that's what i, I do now i need some I... postman shorts we'll show them up <laughs> <laughs> i told you about the time that our dog knocked a postman down our front lawn right no speaking of no. steep hills our house is situated on like it's in the middle of like the suburbs right we don't have like a large front yard but it's a steep front yard mm-hmm. and so um the the postman was just startled like our screen door was still closed but the dog like barked and jumped on the door it was excited to see the postman and the postman jumped back and like fell all the way down our hill oh no and the postman was <laughs> the dad of one of my friends in junior high <laughs> <laughs> and he said that uh, when he got home he was just like <laughs> just like bemoaning our family <laughs> and our stupid dog you had been blacklisted at that point exactly <laughs> Um, One time I uh, just broke my arm, just like falling down a hill. Just like, like yeah. wait, were you like rolling down a hill for fun or you f- slipped and fell? I, I was just walking down a hill and I slipped and fell and landed on my arm. And I guess like as a child, I had like really weak bones because like I broke <laughs> my, I broke my leg like twice and my arms like three or four times. Um, but yeah, I was just like at a friend's house and we were like. Maybe we were skipping or something, you know. I was, like, 12 and just, like, suddenly just, like, fell over (laughs) and landed (laughs) on my arm. And then I was at the hospital, so. Yeah. I was like, okay, so I went to summer camp one week of my life and then was, like, never again. (laughs) I've never been to summer camp. (laughs) It was, I'm not meant for summer camp. I remember getting in the car when my parents picked me up and I was like, do not ever take me back to this place. (laughs) But... You know, it's like a week long, and so you pack like a week's worth of clothes. Um, mm-hmm. And I was a kid; I was very stupid. Um, I think I was in like fourth grade or something. And <laughs> the like the second day, it had rained, and I was like walking from the cabin down to where we get breakfast, and I slipped and fell all the way down the hill. And so I had mud <laughs> going like all the way from my butt up like the back of my shirt. <laughs> like it was just like a long giant streak. And in my oh, mind, no. in my stupid like pre you know frontal lobe development mind i was like well i have to wear it today because i only have like clothes for like every day like it didn't occur to me like just wear something else twice Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And so I just wore it all day. No, because that went against the plan that your 12-year-old you know mind exactly. had created. Yep. Yeah, I totally get <laughs> Cannot that. Cannot deviate. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you'll love this, though. I mean, we talk a lot. You know, I say frequently that we all have default emotions and mine tends to be anger. And that's mm-hmm. fine. I think it has served me well at some points and has not <laughs> at other points. Um, did I punch a wall in grad school? Yes, I did. Maybe. <laughs> did I one time <laughs> just yell at an undergrad because they're walking too slow up the stairs? Correct. <laughs> um, the lowest point, I think we talked about this on the podcast, is when I stopped my car in the middle of the road to get out and yell at two frat guys. <laughs> <laughs> almost got in a fight with them. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, not proud of that one. But, um, you know, my anger dissipated a bit in New York and it's largely dissipated here. But these hills, man, are like activating a lot of frustration. They're bringing it back. They yeah. are. So last Friday, I was leaving the office in San Francisco, supposed to head across town to Corona Heights to meet up with a friend who was house sitting over there. And Mm -hmm. I got outside of the office and there's fortunately like a muni stop right in front of the office, but I missed the the train that takes me directly there. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just get on this other train line. You know, it doesn't drop off that far away. Oh no. Yeah, well, cause you know, you know like every subway map in every city is not like proportionally accurate, but I was like, you know, eyeballing it. It only seems like a few blocks. Um, And I wasn't too wrong. It dropped me off like half a mile away, which is not the end of the world, except that I get out of the subway stop and I'm looking at Google maps. I'm like, okay, it's due left. I turn and look left. It is just like the steepest hill that goes on forever. (laughs) It's not like, oh, I just need to get past power through these two blocks. Like the entire half mile was all uphill. And I was just getting increasingly angry and tired. I would have been angry too. It just culminated in like the most pathetic outburst though, because I was, I had (laughs) with me a can of LaCroix that I took from the fridge before I left. Mm-hmm. And I go to take a sip, but I'm just so pissed that I'm only halfway there and I'm so tired that I'm like vibrating with anger. And I just yell, I go, I don't even want this. <laughs> and I, Katie, I threw it on the ground dramatically and stomped on it. And so like water's yes! exploding everywhere. It's flat. But then because we're in goddamn San Francisco and they don't have enough public trash cans, there's nowhere to throw it out. So then I have oh. to stop. Pick it Pick up. Pick up your, like, object of it's shame, wet basically. and sticky and now has very sharp sides to it and hold it with two fingers <laughs> for the rest of the walk. <laughs> I don't even want you or this <laughs> <Yeah>. or whatever. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, baby Sam. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's all I wanted to hear. <laughs> that does sound like a really terrible <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> I was so tired. And then it just got worse because we went to this tiny Italian restaurant that was so tiny inside and had so many tables and we sat right by the oven and it was so crowded and dimly lit that I literally was like, I couldn't cool off or catch my breath. I felt like an old person. I was like, I need a minute. I was like, I'm so sorry. I can't even like focus or see straight. And I felt like I was being so (laughs) melodramatic. It was really embarrassing. Your friend's like, I'm never inviting this guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're going to delete from contacts after this. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, but otherwise things are going very well. I've had, like, just a great couple of weeks, so. (laughs) Oh, yeah? I know. You've been enjoying the World Cup? Yes. Well, yeah, except for the heartbreaking final, which, you know. But they, uh, so we were rooting for Croatia, and Mm -hmm. they did not win. Um, But they put in a last really, like, a really good last game. 
So there was, like, no shame, you know? Like, there wasn't, like, this, like... Like, pride was not involved, at least for us watching the game. We were yeah. like, okay. Um, they did good. Like, they made it this far, and it was a, it was a good game to watch. Um, so, yeah, there was that, and now, like... So that was last week, and... This week, I was like, I have all this, like, free time now because, like, (laughs) seriously, the month of World Cup, it's, like, at least four times a week, if not more, that you're watching games. So, like, you have to budget in, you know, at least, like, eight hours a week, if not more, to watch these games. Um, And so, like, for, like, one example is, like, in the, just in the, like, group stages, which is, like, the earliest stage, there's three games a day. Uh, starting Oof. at 8 a.m. So, like, we would go to our friend Ian's house at 8 a.m. and be there until, like, 4 p.m. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, like, glad to have done it. Like, obviously, it's it's such a fun experience, and it's, you know, like, rare, right? It doesn't happen every year. So, um, but, like, I'm kind of relishing this new, like, new sense of time, while at the same time getting increasingly alarmed by the fact that like this the semester is about to start in like a month so um yeah like summer is now like fleeing away from me and i have all these like (laughs) things that i wanted to do all these writing projects that i've only like halfway gotten done although we we have evidence on the documented on this podcast that you have written and presented multiple pieces of work though this summer this is true. Yeah, I've, I have. I I will I will say I've worked my booty off this summer, but there's uh, there's just like this is the the kind of perennial academic. Yeah, our lists are impossibly ambitious. Yes, yeah, and especially over the summer, we like just like put too much like psychological yeah stress no, on absolutely. ourselves. So. Um, also, my dog is, like, chewing this bone very loudly right next to me, and it's <laughs> annoying the hell out of me. But I can't make him go away, because if he does, then the other dog will f- start fighting with him. So It's truly a, <laughs> just a, a delicate diplomatic situation. It is, it's an incredibly tense situation right now. We call it... So, here's... Let, let me lay this out for you. We have obviously two dogs one is rambunctious and a male and one is like an old crabby female um though she's not actually that old she just like presents herself as like you know (laughs) like a mean spinster um oh can you put her in just like an old ratty (laughs) dog-sized wedding dress oh i will not do that (laughs) (laughs) i want to miss havisham for halloween I like us like taking them on the July Fourth parade was already just like too much. Um, no, um, I'm going to circumvent you and give this idea straight to Ryan because he's more likely to make this happen. He will totally do it. Yeah, he will. He will start sewing it himself. Like, <laughs> yeah. he will absolutely do it. Um. So, anyways, this they she McPug Lady McPug feels the need to possess everything, right? Like, so she's the oldest. She's the like, she's very, very grabby. Um, but what she... So we'll have, like, two bones. And we will give uh, one bone to each dog. And Bark Anthony will be like, oh, thank you. And just, like, run off and chew on his bone. But she immediately wants his bone. Because now he has, like, put his, like, dog slobber on it. And it's just, like, ten times more appealing. Um, so the rest of the, like, day, basically, is her freaking out 
whining and doing something that we call pug rushing, which is where, like, <laughs> she will just, like, suddenly, like, burst through the room after him trying to get this bone. Yeah. And I think I might have said this before, but she then, if those strategies don't work, then she has this, what can only be described as, like, multi-step reasoning, where she knows that, like, the only thing that Bark Anthony wants in life is for dogs or people to play with him like that's that's his basic need is attention so she and mcpug doesn't like to play with toys like she's just kind of a crabby dog that doesn't often like chew on anything or anything like that but what she'll do is she'll suddenly feign complete interest in a toy and like start like you know chewing on it and playing and like making a lot of noise with the toy so that then he gets intrigued by her playing, <laughs> will come over to see what's happening and drop the bone, and then she will immediately drop the toy and run after the bone and get it. It's incredible. Love it's it. like, damn, you are diabolical. Um, <laughs> so anyways, as uh, proud puppy owners, or whatever you want to call it, like we are constantly on the alert for this delicate diplomatic situation that we have here it's it's uh yeah (laughs) Um, do you feel like this is gonna prepare you for when you ultimately have kids oh no because like no (laughs) i (laughs) well i i don't know i so like my fear with having kids is that i will just like get so engrossed in it that i will i don't know like just kind of lose a sense of self you know because like i find myself saying things around the house like what are you thinking about and i'm just talking to a dog you know you (laughs) ask what are you thinking about (laughs) yes (laughs) Uh, and like just because okay in terms of like the larger like breadth of like dog talk (laughs) i hear people say things like you enjoying that bone yes you are (laughs) or like you want to go outside but i've never heard like tell me what you're thinking about messed up like I really do and I just I mean I told you do you remember your mother Lady (laughs) McCog we we, I think we have said that to her like um, like one time one time so Lady McPug's mother that you know she's she's never like she hasn't seen since she like since we got her right yeah but her mother is named Sweetie Pie um, and so one time Ryan, like, just jokingly called me that. He was like, sweetie pie, what are you doing? And I was like, don't say that name. That's going to remind her of her mother. <laughs> like, like, don't bring the, the other mother into this house. I was like, uh, I was like Susan Sarandon talking about Julia Roberts. And, you know, yeah. Except you're the stepmom. I know. I know. Mm-hmm. But I, I had that. You same, have to like, marry fear. old Ed Harris now. Uh, I would do it. Like, have you seen him in Westworld? He's like creepy as fuck. And Wait, and so you like, would do it? Yeah, yeah. You're attracted like, to creepy as fuck? Yeah, like in that like mean creepy way. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's just like he's so mean. He's just like so evil. It's great. He I also, love it. in my mind, he accelerated to old looking very quickly, but then just stopped. He did. He but did. now he, he looks right. he looks equally old in movies from like the nineties as he does today though. Yeah, yeah. I I would agree with that. Like I actually don't have a vision of him. Like not, not old. Look, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 
Um, but I mean, like, he's a great actor, and he does the whole like horrible creepiness thing. It's true. It's aced, aced it. So yeah, anyways, haven't, sorry, haven't watched I'm the second like... season of Westworld. Had mixed feelings about the first season, but yeah, he was definitely awful in that first season. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm amid the second season right now. So should I? Is it worth doing? Ah, uh, well, if you if you had if you were conflicted about the first one, I'd say like. You know, it's it's good. Like, then no, then yeah, then don't, <laughs> yeah, right. don't do it. Yeah. I mean, there's really only so much TV I can digest, and so if exactly. that keeps getting pushed down. I should just let it go. Right, right. Like, prioritize things that are gonna like, you know, really excite you, or mm-hmm. you know, like arouse you, or whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever your thing is. If I'm watching watch TV, TV, I want to be aroused. God damn it. <laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel about most things, uh, though. <laughs> That's how I feel about most things. If I'm gonna bother to get up and go outside, <laughs> if I'm I gonna leave this house, <laughs> if I'm gonna work on this Shakespeare paper, I better be like highly aroused. Okay, yeah, this I- isn't the same thing as aroused, but in terms of just like delightful interruptions to my day, I take mm-hmm. a tech shuttle out of the city uh, every morning and. Right. It, it drives me down to work. Um, <laughs> and that is a hot topic in San Francisco. A lot of people protest these shuttles. They don't like that they're there. I have not oh. felt... Yeah, so actually a couple have been shot at and a couple have been pelted with stones and a couple of times people have blocked their paths. Um, really? Yeah, it's contentious. But Why? I have largely Why? been shielded from... Mm, I mean, for a whole host of reasons that we can link to. I think for some reasons that are pseudo valid and some that are kind of absurd okay regardless all right okay sorry Um, yeah no no you're fine um but (laughs) i got on the shuttle and we're uh, we have to do one more stop before we leave the city we go to that second stop (laughs) we are essentially all we need to do is turn left at the next intersection and then the on-ramps right there we cannot (laughs) turn left because (laughs) there's (laughs) a protester in a blue Mini Cooper just doing donuts recklessly through the <laughs> intersection to keep us from going and laying yes. on the horn. And I was sitting there being like, I know I'm going to be late. I know I should feel like conflicted about it, but it actually just felt like performance art or something to me. And I yes. found it kind of beautiful. <laughs> just someone angrily laying on the horn as they drove endlessly in circles. Meanwhile, That's like everyone on the bus is, I know. <laughs> Which also gets to the heart of these protests, right? Like, mm-hmm. the people, it's like a lot of, like, super bougie people who are protesting, which is very confusing and backwards <laughs> to me. I digress. But um, everyone on the bus was freaking out. And, you know, because a lot of people on that bus are very high strung about making sure we get there as quickly as possible. And mm. I kind of just sat there and was, like, at peace in the moment, which was nice. <laughs> I love that a Mini Cooper doing donuts in <laughs> protest is like a place that, or a, an event that brings you zen. I know, my eyes like glaze over and I hear like, what a wonderful world playing, <laughs> just like in the That's background. Like me at the dentist when they put the the uh, uh, x-ray jacket thing over you, I'm just like... It's like a thunder oh, blanket. It is, it's so nice, so I totally... Yeah, yeah you, but dude, Mini like, Cooper doing doing donuts it's awesome yeah, those people get intense so i think like i mean like my past co fellow passengers so i feel like if i have to choose like zen or that i choose zen oh yeah like yeah. every once in a while like these buses break down i have not had that happen to me until this past week 
Oh where no! It was a new driver. She got on. She pulled up. She's like, "Hey, everyone! It's my first day." And I was like, "Oh, welcome!" Oh, fuck. And then <laughs> you yeah. should have known, Sam. You should have known. I know. When she said that, that you were cursed. <laughs> and then we get on the bus and we go. We were on the highway for less than a minute, and everything starts like beeping and her dash, like everything's blinking yellow, and the bus just shuts off. Ugh. But dude, these other passengers are like, what is going on? <laughs> like, we need to get to work. <laughs> and I was like, guys, this is her first day. She did yeah. not personally break down this bus. Like, chill out. <laughs> also, like, they, I really thought so... like they were turning on her with such expediency that I, I really, Jeez. it was like a Lord of the Flies situation. <laughs> I'm like so just like anti work in general unless it's my own you know research but mm-hmm. like i in that moment would be like yeah five I minutes know. i don't have to work i know it's you like know? if the like, school bus <laughs> broke down going to school we would all be thrilled yeah like, let's exactly. recapture some of that that lost youth <laughs> did i ever tell you about the time that um my school bus driver ran over a mailbox <laughs> <laughs> no Okay, so <laughs> let me just shout out to, like, one of the kindest souls I've ever Aww. met. His name is Mr. Garcia. Mm-hmm. And um, we even, like, had a song for him, and it didn't, like, it didn't make any sense. It was just, Mr. Garcia, yeah, Mr. Garcia, yeah. But we would just, like, shout that over and over <laughs> again. So, like, every day of this man's life, um, you know, like, I don't know, 20 children would just, like, constantly shout his name. Um, but but it, he, it was earned because, like, he really was, like... He didn't yell at us. He let us like stand up. Like he did, like basically like all the things that you're not you supposed to let kids do. do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, and for so, that we revered him. Yes, exactly. Um, well, he was just like, I guess, like so. I watched the um, Mr. Rogers, um, yeah. you know, documentary recently, and I like I. So he was one of those people like Mr. Rogers who just, like, understood kids. You know what I mean? Like, just, like, got it. Like, kids are confused and need attention, but, like, also, like, need room to, like, be weird and stuff. Um, anyway, so he's, like, one of those souls. But <laughs> this one day, uh, Mr. Garcia just, like, completely accidentally plowed over a mailbox. Um, and, you know, just, like absolutely just tore into this mailbox he stops the bus like no affect whatsoever gets out looks at it and then just like gets back in and drives away and like <laughs> there was this like unspoken code and yes. we all knew it so like all of us on the bus were like we will never tell anyone this happened like you know like we were like this i hope is- somewhere in rural texas someone's listening to our podcast and was like i knew it finally <laughs> yeah. it was mr garcia with the yeah. school bus um <laughs> It was just so great because, like, you know, like, we all had such loyalty to him that we were like, no, we're, yeah, we're not, like, going to go tell our teachers this or anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Anyways, buses. They're, uh, buses. they're something. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. They are. Yeah. Really, really are. There's, <laughs> they're also, like, so the Muni here, you can take trains or buses. They're two kind of separate paths. Mm-hmm. 
uh, open to you. And I was on <laughs> the other day with my friend Sherwin. We were going up uptown, and this one <laughs> they get very full on the weekends, and so you have to yell like coming out if like say you're like towards the back of the bus and need to make your way up to the door before the door shuts and it drives whoa, whoa, away. Whoa. Sam, do you ever go? I'm coming out. <laughs> No. no? Oh, okay. <laughs> I've always strategically positioned myself so that I do not have to yell on the bus. Yeah, yeah. However, okay. you get used to this sort of like incantatory rhythm where we pull up to a stop, the doors open, someone yells coming out repeatedly, exits mm-hmm. the bus, doors close, drive away, next stop, rinse and repeat. We pull away from a stop, <laughs> still blocks away from the next stop, there's this woman in the back who just yells, coming out, coming out. <laughs> Coming out, <laughs> like just, oh. and everyone was fine. Like we get it. Like there's a clear path when we get to the stop. And she yelled it as she was walking forward as she got off the bus. <laughs> like she just was was not taking any chances. I guess she'd been burned before, but it cracked me up. I love that insistence. Like that yeah. is. Yeah, like, I am coming out. People, get ready for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Solidarity to that woman. I, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, she's. It's her world. We're all just living in it. Mm-hmm. I'd live in that world. Ah, that's I'm my phrase for this world. week. I'm sorry. That's my phrase for this week. Keeping up that trend. What? What trend? I like. I'm sorry. What did you just say? <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a phrase every single week to use. It's like an idiom. Oh. Oh. And it, what is it? What did we just say? I was world. just talking. Her world. We're just living in it. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I just like she, started she owns, talking we nonsense. <laughs> um, sometimes like I just get on these like, you know, like trains of thought where I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I have no idea what I'm saying. And that happened <laughs> just now. Where I was like, yeah, we're living in her world. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah. Living in her world. Wait, what is it again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, her world. We're just living in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. she owns. We rent. <laughs> okay, okay. Woo. What? I don't know what has happened to my brain this morning. I know. Uh, I'm, I like feel like I'm hearing a transformation in the moment. <laughs> I'm, well, Something's I'm just waking on. up. Yeah. What? I am just waking up. That is for sure. At 11.40? Wait, no, it's three hours. No. L- oh, my God. What time is it? 2.30? Yeah. <laughs> this is like, what? Um, what, what, a month ago when <laughs> I texted you and was like, so sorry. I had plans come up. Can we bump back to, what did I say? Like 10 I was like, p.m.? I was like, can we do like 5 o'clock your time? And then I called you at noon and I was like, where are you? And you're like, that's not, it's three hours difference. <laughs> I'm asleep, damn it. Um, <laughs> I'll get this time yeah. difference down soon enough. So here's what happened. I got an audiobook that I just like got so wrapped into um, or wrapped up in or whatever the phrase mm-hmm. is, right? And so I was doing that and a puzzle. Um and <laughs> like the two just combined to entrance me and I didn't <laughs> yeah, realize it's a dangerous it. cocktail. And I had been like just sitting here. So I had worked all day on on an essay. And so I was like, I'm gonna do this puzzle and chill out. 
you know, and like kind of like find my Zen. Yeah, like yeah, like your, you know, like Mini Cooper doing donuts. That's what I was looking for. Uh, I would love a gif of that. Just yeah, <laughs> just to center myself on stressful yes, days. Yeah, exactly. But I like started doing the puzzle and like two minutes in, I was like, I am bored. Uh, oh. So I got a new audio book, um, and basically, it's um, a Balzac novel called Cousin Bet. Yeah. And here's the thing: is I've like. I've never read any Balzac. Like, I, I've read so little that I, I'm ashamed. Like it's, well, you shouldn't be ashamed because after this, like, so I did it because it was like, um, it was just recommended to me, you know, on Audible, and I was like, you know what, computer algorithms, you're usually right, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna like, I'm gonna trust you on this one because like I, I tend to listen to like Dickens or Hardy novels on Audible. All right. Anyway, so. Yeah, so I got this uh, Balzac novel, and then I, like, did some research into him as I was, like, listening, and he wrote, like, 92 works oh, or yeah. something, like, crazy. He wrote a ton. Yeah, and I've, Same like, with, like, Zola, of... you know? Like, yeah. they're the two, like, you know, because I, I really think, like, it is tough for both of us. We, we studied very different periods. You were early modern. Yeah. I was contemporary American. But if we're in an English language literature program, like it's very tough to find avenues to justify reading French literature, and it's a shame. But it totally is. Yeah, yeah. you're supposed um, to know. Like obviously, everyone's read like Madame Bovary, but <laughs> um, or yeah, you might have but... read like Princesse de Clèves, but like otherwise, like everyone's like, we'll just know that like these authors are operating at this time. Right. Exactly. And so I had like no like prior knowledge coming into it, except I was like, all right, French dude like long novel that's that's what i knew right yeah <laughs> and sam it is amazing it is like it is yeah. basically like um it's like dickens it's like x-rated dickens basically oh damn like people all are right like, would you say you're like, aroused fucking yeah yeah <laughs> um but they're like you know 1850s fucking so it's like um she let her shawl, like, you know, drop oh. down her soldier. Oh. And there's, like, and it's, like, high drama, like, to the point of ridiculous, right? It's it's melodrama, but it's written in such a beautiful way that you excuse it. So, like, yeah. in the novel that I am reading, there's a courtesan, and she gets pregnant, and she literally has five separate dudes believing that he is the father, <laughs> which is, like, a feat, <laughs> Listen, right? I champion but, this woman. Yes, Just but he then leavens that, like, Balzac then leavens that with a chapter on, like, how, like, sculpture is, like, the highest art. You know, it's, like, so... <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyways, that that's awesome. all to say. I'm going to put this on my short list. I need to read more Balzac. Late. I Did mean, you finish The Stand, by the way? The Stand? Oh, no. I am still, like, halfway through that. I can, Okay. That, that is my dog walking audiobook i have i have different audiobooks for different occasions yeah, time and place for everything <laughs> so yeah that's actually that's like there's neuroscience to back that up actually that like if you like you really? will yeah your brain like depending on like a, your your brain uses like surroundings and environments to determine what it's supposed to be like doing and mm -hmm. so if you do like so a couple professors recommended this to me like when I was exam reading to say like, okay, so when you're doing your major list and reading novels, like pick a place where you read that. And when you're doing your minor list and reading dense theory, pick another place where you do that. And Oh, yeah. I have never considered that before. Like ever. That's cool. Yeah. Um, 
It makes sense. Yeah, because like with the stand, I feel like it's like really tense and like very kind of active. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, very totally. like a lot of crazy shit is happening. And then I'm like walking this dog who's also like, you know, into crazy shit basically. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes perfect sense. All right. Ah. Maybe that's why, okay, sorry. I just, like, I'm having a revelation right now of, like, okay, maybe <laughs> I should, like, swap out, like, where I'm doing certain tasks in terms of, like, yes. writing an article or... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Indeed. Indeed. So I'm okay. fascinated to know, ultimately, though, that the combination of puzzling and honor is this name Honoré de Balzac? That's right, right? I think so, that, yes. That kept you up into the late hours of the night? Till 5 a.m. 5 a.m.? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Yes. Um, but, like, at the same time, I just, I wanted to give myself that. I, it can only be described as a word that, like, Macbeth uses when he encounters the, the weird sisters, which is rapt, R-A-P-T, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's... It's been a while since I've been wrapped in a work of literature uh, to that, that extent. Yeah. So that I just like was like, you know, I'm going to pay for this later. Like, I'm certainly going to pay for it tomorrow. I've got to get up early. Um, but I'm just I'm going to go with it. I'm just no, going to like I let genuinely love happen. that about you. And I wish <laughs> I need to work on like allowing myself to like be wrapped in that way. Because I think but I do like more and more. I'm like, oh, but it's getting late. I need to be in bed because I have to get up at like this hour and then do all these five things before work. And yeah, but like, do you have you ever met me when I'm on like three hours of sleep? It's <laughs> awful. <laughs> it's like the grossest thing you can encounter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have actually. You've met me. Yeah, without no, sleeping. totally. It's it's been unpleasant. I mean. <laughs> I, I don't feel like I had to bear the brunt of that unpleasantness. So thank you. Um, <laughs> I guess <yeah>. retrospectively. <laughs> I shielded you from yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of unpleasantness, though, we need, should yeah. we transition into O? It's, that's a really good way to transition into this movie. Oh, yes. Katie, I was not ready. Can I tell you a little bit about what I was expecting to see? Yes, but let me preface this with, so I'd seen this before. Okay. Um, but just once. I'd seen it once. And you, like, when we decided on this, you were like, you had texted me, um, or we had talked about it, and you were like, I'm so excited. I've never seen this. I'm so excited. So, like, a few times, <laughs> yes. you'd expressed your excitement about it, and I just, like, I did I did not <laughs> reveal to you what was in store. So, oh, yeah. boy. I really, in my mind, I was like, oh, this is going to be a train wreck. It's going to be a wild ride, and I'm down for it. It's going to be just, like, <laughs> really bad Shakespearean acting from Julia Stiles and from Josh Hartnett. And it's going to be hilarious. I'm going to have so many jokes. <laughs> yep. And, oh, boy. It was... It did not go that way. <laughs> oh, my God. It's. I mean, it's not a good movie. It is a deeply unpleasant movie that is very difficult to watch, in, uh, particularly in, I'd say, like, maybe four or five scenes. So, like, what? this is a really good question. Was this the Vogue? Like, I can't remember these types of films like really appealing to me as a teenager you know what I mean like I wanted to watch like some dark edgy films occasionally but it wasn't like what I went to you know yeah. what I mean like well and it is an R-rated film too and so it's confusing yeah. to be like okay 
because there's you know for anyone who doesn't know like when you are when like the Hollywood studio system tries very very hard to avoid R ratings because most of the time they're trying to cast the broadest net especially if you are featuring teen stars you're probably trying right. to draw in uh, teenagers and right. it becomes increasingly difficult to get them into the theater um, when it's an R rating because either they have to sneak in or they need to go with a parent and what teens want to do that blah 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 so this is confusing because it has teen stars who are I think maybe just past their peak as teen stars mm-hmm. um, right because it's early 2000s I think I want to say Julia Stiles and Josh Hardin were probably like late 90s yeah maybe I'm but, wrong though um, well, but like, either Hard- way Hardin it's is- taking off during this year because he's also doing like Black Hawk Down. Right, so but it's that's like, like that's like a perfect pivot though to like an adult career though. Right? Like oh, that's not a movie say, that's supposed to be drawing like teen audiences. Well we should clarify one thing though, which is that this was filmed in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Um but for three years or two years. For three years three years because it has a lot of violence, um, especially gun violence, and then uh Columbine happened. Right. So they um, just, like, let it, you know, hang out until, I guess, they judged that it was, like, I don't know. I don't know how they, like, made that decision about, like, okay, now we can, like, talk about gun, or we can, like, depict teenagers shooting teenagers again, Yeah, I guess. because I guess in a sense, like, this isn't, maybe it's because it's not stylized in the same way that Romeo plus Juliet was, but, like, mm-hmm. that movie had just as much, like, gunplay. Um, yeah, and they're really, true. when you think about when this was filmed, that one's 97, it's released, this one should have been released 99, like, they're not that far apart. Um, yeah. And so I think in that way it makes sense, but still, like, what's confounding to me is, like, an R rating for teen stars appealing to a teen demographic. So I think to go back to your question, there yeah. is already this sort of, like, confusion about, like, who this is for and why we are, how we're trying to appeal to them. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Like, um... There's never a moment where I was like, man, these teens are cool. Like, I want to be them, you know? And that's yeah. usually, at least that's, like, part of the affect that I think goes along with watching these teen movies. Like, even in Scream, you were like, man, they're so cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Nev Campbell is just like, yeah, she's uh, who, you know, she's, like, so admirable, right? Because she's so poised right. full of character and, like, eventually, like, grit. You go, okay, this is a true, like, heroine. Um, and someone that the teens can like, or especially teen women can like identify with, right? But mm-hmm. I don't know if we're being, who are we being asked to identify with? Oh, I have no idea. But can I uh, ask too, is that also the case? This is also how I feel in some ways about Othello, right? Like oh, yeah. Othello is one of my, if I'm being honest, it's one of my least favorite Shakespearean plays. It is one that I find kind of miserable to read. Um, it's, it's hard. It's, yeah. it's a very tough play because um well i mean there are so many different reasons why but like you know obviously race is the the number one kind of like like issue that causes a lot of discomfort but i think um, even or more not even fundamentally or like it's yeah. like an issue of perspective like we have to watch so much through iago's eyes and we don't identify with iago and so exactly. if you compare it to something like romeo and juliet like there's just as much tragedy. Those lovers also die, but we are also in tandem with the tragedy. We get to watch like the joys of their exactly. scenes together it's as well. And there's no from, like, joy. Yeah. yeah, where we don't get any joy between like Othello and Desdemona, really. Um, 
at all. Oh, no. Yeah, no, exactly. There's, like, there's no... Like, the moral compass in the play is, like, Desdemona, which she's on stage, you know, very rarely. Um, I know. She really... I was trying to think about that, too, because you said in our last episode that it's funny that Juliet is this active character and her agency isn't really represented well in Romeo plus Juliet. And here I was thinking it was the opposite, where Julia Stiles felt so much more present than I remember Desdemona being in the play. Yeah, yeah, I think, and that's that's absolutely true, right? In the play itself, Desdemona appears, like, to justify that she's, you know, married to Othello, and then, you know, like, she, like, disappears, basically, for yeah. a while, and other people talk about her, right? So that's the thing that like really what what Othello like the problem in Othello is that you have this female body that can be dissected or talked about or speculated upon in so many different ways and there's no way in which the she has representation to kind of protest that language about her you know like what could she do like and this I mean this applies in the movie as well right like there's an attempt by Julia Stiles' character to kind of um, refute um, O's suspicions, where she says, if you think I'm cheating on me, you should have the balls to ask me, right? Like, Desdemona would never say that. No. Ever. But it it falls flat in O, because, like, she's still a passive... (laughs) You mean because right after that she goes, I'm always straight with you, O? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) (laughs) This is, like, I feel like of a Uh, time where, like, we had multiple Hollywood films coming out trying to make the argument that Julia Stiles was very comfortable, like, using very, like, I don't know, hip language, like, urban tinge language. Like, save the last dance. Which I never found believable. (laughs) No. No. I mean, poor Julia Stiles. She's just, like, (laughs) she's not my favorite actress. I think I've told you that, like, she constantly looks constipated. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't quite go full Renee Zellweger, but she's, like, halfway there. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So there's, like, there's, I just don't find her... Like, I'm sure she's a wonderful person. I don't know, actually. But, like, I just don't find her to be, like, a good heroine actress. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I just, like, have never, le- like, liked her personally. And so, like, it colors then how I <laughs> how I read her in, in her various, like, Shakespearean attempts. Because she does a lot of Shakespeare. Like, she was in Hamlet. and then Yeah, next week we'll be talking later. about Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Ten things. But, yeah, you're right. So, like, just to take a step back, though. So, oh, the film, right? Um, it's just to kind of, like, explain what's going on. It's it's Othello, the plot of Shakespeare's Othello. But it's in this South Carolina prep school where, obviously, the teenagers all live in a the, the same dorm. Um, and so they can, like easily come in and out of each other's rooms, which I think was, like, you know, super weird. Um, It took me a a while to realize these were dorms, too, because the movie starts off with peering into, like, the homes of various school administrators. And so when they introduce Julia Stiles' father, he's in this sort of big house, and I just assumed she lived there. And so I was like, wait, why is there a second bed in her room with this woman who doesn't look (laughs) like her at all? Like, is this her sister? And why are they sharing a room in that giant house? (laughs) Exactly. Um, So, anyways. uh, (laughs) um, So, yeah, she... 
sorry, I just kind of lost my third. No, no, I derailed you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, no, I was just thinking this is totally digressive, but somebody that I know who is rich um, accidentally texted me when she meant to text her uh, family member. And the text was, um, which room did you sleep in? Did you sleep in the blue or orange or yellow room? So I guess like those are three separate rooms. (laughs) And I need to know (laughs) so I can wash the sheets. And I was thinking like, how like rich do you have to be to not know which room (laughs) people are sleeping in? Why don't you just pop your head in each one? Like surely there's going to be some trace that someone has been there. Also, Julia Stiles clearly was staying in the orange room. Yes. There's so many just shades of 90s colors that we would not tolerate today. Yeah. So anyways, that's why I got distracted just now. So my apologies. I was just thinking like, I can't wait to be rich enough to like have rooms named after colors and then not know like who's in what room. (laughs) Can Um, I ask though, you're bringing up Othello. You are a Shakespearean scholar. Can you talk for a minute? How... How to ask this question. What is the significance of race in Othello? So one of the yeah. big things, of course, is how race plays into this movie. But any when race is present in American texts, it is so firmly focused on the lens of like American history. Like that's really because we have, I mean, obviously such a, a, a complicated history of race in a, the U.S. alone. But I, I'm sort of at a, at a loss to understand like what that racial difference would have meant for Shakespeare's time. Yeah, well, it's it's tough. And like there have been like countless books uh, and, you know, articles written about it. But part of the problem is that the language does not mean the same thing. So it's Othello the Moor, right? M-O-O-R. Um, but more in the period could mean someone who was um, from like, you know, the, the Middle East or someone who was from, you know, like Southern Africa um, or I mean, sorry, just anywhere in Africa. Yeah, it yeah. could mean um, that you were like in Spain even. So there's a lot of Moors in Spain, but that could you could oh, be like very light skinned. You could be, you know, kind of um, with an Iberian um, heritage and be called a Moor by the English. So there's a lot of like confusion about what that term would mean. We do know that there were Moors in early modern England. There were not many, but there were a few. Um, so, and they were normal citizens at the time. Like they weren't slaves. They weren't, I mean, that comes later, right? Like that's starting to happen. Um, but England is a little bit slower than say like the Portuguese and the Dutch in creating a slave trade based on race. Um, so you did have like in Shakespeare's England, we have a record of a Moor, and we don't know what that means, like how that looked, but we have a record of a Moor marrying a white woman. So um, it's there, but it's not got the same um, precision that we normally and very falsely apply to race today, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so there's that. I mean, Othello does call himself black in the play. He says, you know, oh, because I'm black, she's she doesn't love me anymore. Um, but again, black could also just refer to someone who was dark complexioned, not necessarily black skin. So there's a lot. Well, of yeah, difference. as we do today, use black yeah. to mean many people who just aren't like white. Right, right, exactly. So um, it's it's tough. And another thing, too, 
uh, that kind of like makes this issue so much more interesting, but at the same time, headache inducing for scholars um, in good ways, I think, but uh, is that there's, it's never like the term more is never unaccompanied with racial valences as well, or not sorry, racial uh, religious valences as well. Oh, so that, for example, you can't refer to somebody as a more without also in that moment commenting on the fact that they are not Christian. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, and so even if you converted, <laughs> there's still, like, so Othello um, in the play itself is, like, constantly reaffirming to the senators, not that he's just, you know, like, a good general, but that he's a good moral general, right? There's There, mm-hmm. there are moments where he's like, you know, I... I'm a good guy, basically. <laughs> and you see that a little bit in the movie where, um, especially when Odin is about to kill himself, he says, when you tell my story... Uh, I, I love that. Yeah, I'm not a crack baby. I'm not, like, a, a, a scribe. I'm not, like, part of all of these, like, stereotypes that you have um, created about um, African Americans, right? Like, that's not who I am, right? So, um, again, like, it's, it's interesting that, like, we still today do have um, ethical connotations that accompany race, unfortunately. Um, but that's there in the play, too, right? Like, Othello says at one point, have we all turned Turk? And what he... Like, it's ironic, because as a Moor, he could be identified as allied with, or, you know, yeah. like, maybe even Turkish, right? Like, he could be um, from a similar heritage, but he's... In that moment, he's also saying that I am not Turk, right? Like, I am refusing that signifier of who I am. Sorry, I feel like I just kind of botched that. No, that's super interesting. (laughs) You you always apologize after you give these, like, super interesting rundowns. This is because great. Because it's long-winded. Um, and, I mean, ultimately, I don't have an answer for you, right? No, but that <laughs> was an answer. That's great. Um, because, yeah, that's helpful. Because I think one of the things that we'll probably talk about as we talk about this film is just the ways in which, like, I'm not sure they fully, the filmmakers fully th- thought through what it means to transport this play into a contemporary American setting. Um, I think they felt that, like, well, the race connections will just sort of make themselves clear because Othello's black and Odin's black. Um, but it's it's very fraught in this movie, and I think in ways it comes off as very... I mean, I hate using the word problematic. It's more... Like, let's talk about why it's problematic instead of just calling it that. But um, yeah, it phase I felt kind of uncomfortable and, and didn't seem to add up. It felt sloppy to me, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that there was... There's a lot that you can do, and I think that Othello is like a really, really powerful way to think through race today. Um, But, like, it's not that you can do these simple analogies, you know? It's not like X always equals Y, and that's what makes an adaptation work. It's It has to be a little bit more deliberate and a little bit more... um, So, one... Yeah, like, one... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's not a big deal. I was just going to talk about the music in the movie. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because... It is constantly, except at the end when you get you get um, the opera, um, mm-hmm. the opera score from Otello. Um, except for that, it is consistently rap music, right? And it's like, it's so it felt weird. For example, that you have these parties, like basically the movie goes in patterns where you have like 
private scene game party. Private scene right. game party. Um, and it does that constantly, but at each party, it's all white kids except for Odin. And they're just, like, blaring uh, rap music each time as if to su- suggest, like, some sort of, like, oh, well, Odin fits in in this way or, like, we've appropriated Odin's culture in some ways and therefore, like, some of us are cool. But that's you know accurate, I mean? though. Like, but- to have a, a, a private school filled with largely white students listening to rap. It is, and yet it doesn't... So... Yes, that's that's accurate, and like, that's you know, I, well, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, except that like in the movie itself, it felt like an overstatement, or it felt like a, um, yeah, well, it was confusing. It Maybe even much. outside of the parties, like what to do with the rap songs that um, mark the transition between scenes, because when yeah. you have this, when you have. Um, just suddenly like very quiet scenes like interrupted sort of suddenly with loud rap music and then it's like scene yes. change. You go, okay, well, what is this signaling to us? Does this have to be, is this a signal of like Odin's presence? Like, is he bringing something to this school in this way? Like, is is he the interruption in the same way that like rap music is used as this kind of jarring interruption between scenes? Or is rap music as it's functioning in, I think the party scenes, to your point, like a symbol of all the ways in which Odin is being sort of, which appropriation is occurring, right? Odin's body yes. is being taken. Like, you, because you can say like, okay, Martin Sheen is using him in all kinds of ways. You mm-hmm. know, he says, I love him like a son, but like, he also like fought to get him to the school, not because he cares about Odin, but because he sees the potential and he sees that like if he can deliver Odin into this successful career, he can move up in terms of his own coaching. Exactly. Um, like he, so it's there a- is this, I don't know, maybe it's, I, I think the most generous reading you can give this movie is that it is a sort of precursor to like Get Out, right? Where this is a movie in some ways about um, uh, that is a, a confirmation about the suspicions of like black paranoia, right? Um, right? About being like one of the few black people in a largely white place, even one that is ostensibly sort of doing this sort of like liberal generous thing of like right the like the underprivileged scholarship or blah 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 making a home because we want to be more inclusive and diverse that the suspicion that all this time um, he is being sort of puppeted and used right and it it ends up that's largely the case across the board um, yeah and so maybe the music then does signal that kind of false face that the white characters are putting on having him even there right like certainly that's the case with uh, Josh Harsnett's character. Um, Josh you know, like, Hairnet. How, how do you say it? Is it oh, hairnet? I just call him Josh Hairnet. That's, oh, okay. That's my own um, personal thing. So constantly. It's Gaelic. Oh, this, this drove me crazy, Sam. Like, he constantly was like, you know I'm your boy, right? You know I'm your oh my brother, God. right? He's so, and so, his acting oh, is so bad. He's like, so I'm, bad. I just need to be alone petting a hawk again. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that was super weird. Also, also why unclear what happened to the hawk at the end of the movie. And, and unclear why that. there are so many doves just trapped under the roof of that one building. <laughs> like indoors. Also, like you don't no one keeps doves indoors. And no one A live hawk. A live mascot. <laughs> like there are plenty of mascots where you cannot have a live version of you know, yes. either because it's fictional or because it's a very dangerous animal. Like that made <laughs> we were just supposed to accept that like, well, of course, the mascot. Of, yeah. of course you'd have a live version of it. 
And it's unguarded most of the time, so yeah, Josh anyone anyone can, just... can go up, take it out of its cage, pet it, you know, like what? It. Listen, I've done falconry before. <laughs> I with know. Be a Groupon. They they do not. They do not play. They do not play. Those are like dangerous fucking creatures. Like yeah. I would not just be like hanging out with a fucking hawk. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, yeah, um, we can. We maybe we should start from the there's beginning. There's so many. There's yeah, so there much are just to so say. many like just um, inconsistencies, I guess, and and things that we are we are struggling to reconcile. And so, music, of course, is one of them that like I can't. But no, but Josh Hartman, I think, is is another major one. Yeah, Yeah. because, like, I think I have a lot to say about race in this film, but I think one of the other fundamental problems is, like, I don't think this film understands, like, what to do with Iago. Because, I mean, that's fair. Iago is this really slippery character because he is this sort of just force of chaos and mischief. Um, Yeah. But here they want to split the difference between making him this like destructive force and making him this like psychologized kid who just wants love from his father and yes. neither works like no he's a straight up sociopath like it makes right. no sense and like uh, yeah and also too it's hard to watch this movie frankly you know even i mean i'm sure i didn't see it when it came out i cannot totally remember the sort of like cultural temperature on like race-based conversations but now thinking about ways in which just like white people in positions of privilege are doing a lot of destructive things around people of color, mm-hmm. it's hard to watch or even find fascinating what amounts to this white fratty douchebag just haphazardly destroying the psyche and life of this black man you know because yeah. he's pettily jealous about what that his father happens to Daddy. show affection to him, like yeah. it, it's not it's not in any way it's not it doesn't psychologi- it's not psychologically sound right for characterization mm-hmm. purposes and it's not compelling like enough to make an audience go well I can see how he got to how he was and it's right. not complex enough to make us even fascinated by him even if we find him repellent. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because like. Uh, well, first of all, obviously that's not in the play. No, it's <laughs> like daddy issue stuff. Iago's and father does not appear. Yes, he's off coaching so that, an away team. <laughs> so that would be kind of cool if we had Iago's father. Um, and he was coaching yeah. basketball. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, like just to go back to like who Iago is and like Iago's become like a kind of cultural flashpoint anyways like you can say it's Iago like and people know what you're talking about um and it's it's nihilistic right like he's he's a character that we 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 don't quite know like we never quite learn what it is that motivates his hatred to that extreme right like we right. know that he wants to be promoted um and that Cassio is promoted above him so he's he's pissed about that um, but there's also, like, suspicion that, you know, uh, Othello has slept with his wife and that he desires Desdemona. And there's, like, all these conflicting, like, desires in Iago that, like, we can't ever quite believe, right? Right. When he talks about, like, I'm busting my ass out there on the basketball, basketball court. I can play any position. There's never a scene that helps us understand how much Josh Harnett loves basketball right we never feel that he loves that or he's passionate about it and even if we had some window into like what that sport meant to him like that could help a little bit well and so too like we don't get the sense that he has like actual 
sexual drives either. Like the only time we see him like uh, do any weird sex thing is, and we'll talk (laughs) more about this, is when he has the shawl and he puts it's like, it no, over put it in your mouth. face. Put it yeah. in your mouth. <laughs> and she just keeps it there. I'm like, I surely, know. like, no one likes the feel of, like, cloth fabric in your mouth on your tongue. No, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, and he's like, so I'm going to borrow you now. Mm. I was like, that line yeah. only makes maybe 50% sense, and it is not a hot line. It's <laughs> so, not a good one. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone ever said uh, that to me, I would, I would run away what would you say <laughs> also we need to talk about m because <laughs> nay amelia in the play but m, m is like odd i it was hard to get a handle on her so she i is, have no idea <laughs> she Dude. is desi's so julie styles desimana's name desi here she's desi's roommate and she does this thing that i mean so far as i can tell is a sign of trauma <laughs> is mm. that when Odin sneaks into the room to sleep with Desi Em's just like that's fine you go ahead I'm just gonna put this blanket over my face <laughs> you're like what like, you don't wanna like leave it's the so room weird. or <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know I would never had a dorm situation maybe people just roll with it in that way but it was weird for her to be like no problem you guys have fun and then just like sl- raise a blanket over her face <laughs> I mean when I was in college I definitely had a roommate and we had bunk beds who had sex in the the bunk bed below me, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I definitely have experienced those moments. But, like, had I a choice, like, in right. that moment, it, it had already started. So I couldn't, like, get up. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you don't just, like, oh, I'm going to, like, put a blanket over my face and listen to my headphones. Like, get, yeah, go away. <laughs> um, and to be fair, they don't have sex. What they do is take all their clothes off so they can have their skin touching. Right, so I, which is a really interesting... I was trying to, is that like, were they trying to invoke a particular line from the play? Like, I couldn't understand what that was. So the, one of the famous critical questions of, the, of Othello is, do they consummate the marriage? Because they the first night they get married, then um, her father is, like, screaming and, you know, is very upset, and Iago has, like, convinced Rodrigo to kind of interrupt the newlyweds. And so then Othello has to immediately go off to Cyprus... And Desdemona follows. The next night, um, everything's okay in Cyprus, and they presumably go back to their bedroom. But then Iago and Rodrigo um, start a fight with Cassio, right? Mm-hmm. And so then again, they're interrupted. So it's this occasional, or not occasional, this constant thing where it seems like they never have a full night together. Um, so... Then, I, you know, like, maybe that makes sense in the context of the movie where, like, the first time they have sex is when they go to the, the like, motel thing, right? Which is the yeah. the toughest scene to watch anyways. Um, One, it, yeah, it's definitely on the short list. So, mm-hmm. but, I mean, they could have had sex before then, too, right? Because it's unclear. No, I, right? think, I think Julia Stiles is... Because um, I couldn't tell if she was saying, later, I want you to have sex with me, or I want you to have sex with me in, like, a new, like, really, like, a way w- in which you're not holding back at all. Right, but then Odin says, like, why would you have said that, you know, since you were so, like, if you were supposedly so innocent, Yeah. how could you have known to be that freaky? Yeah. You know, like, that's basically... Um, and that is a direct yeah. line from the play. Uh, 
<laughs> yes, it is indeed. So so freaky. But um, the other big thing that they talk about in that scene too, when they're just lying there, is well, two things. One is this is where we first are introduced to that recurring motif that you brought up that culminates in the end, where she asks, "How do you get this scar?" He has this sort of gash on his back, and he says, "And I was like, wait, what?" Um, he goes. <laughs> Uh, C-section, doctor cut too deep. Uh, my mama couldn't afford like a good doctor or something like that. And she's like, oh my God. And then he's like, no, I'm just playing. I fell off a skateboard. Like I didn't have yeah. a crazy, I didn't have this crazy, awful childhood. Um, but he, he understands that like, this is the expectation of all the kids at this private school is they're going to assume that he has been rescued from some sort of underprivileged, awful, like childhood. And so he's exactly. sort of like riffing on that and joking about it. But... Then they he brings up the fact they have this conversation when they first meet where about, well, two things. One is they have a conversation about the N-word, and she says, why can't I say it? You say it all the time. That's and so stupid that I she know. asked that. Like, so dumb. And then they ju- I, I couldn't parse out, like, who had originally introduced this, but there's this sort of, like, sexy slave play, like, role-playing thing. Where it's like mm-hmm. the the buck is loose in the master's house or something like that, and it yeah. was like yeah, and like I had that like shocked me. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. what to do with that. I mean, I don't either, but yeah, it's this moment where he half jokingly, you know, says like basically, basically, you are living out this fantasy right. of um like illicit sexual desires but in a way that you still have complete control you know that julia styles character you know in sleeping with a black man um can quote unquote let him loose in the house like he says but it's still her house you know what i mean like it's still yeah it's this weird thing that i think he's really perceptive to identify um, and she's like, oh, ho, ho, you know. <laughs> but in some ways, yeah. <laughs> Julie Stiles smirk, Julie Stiles smirk. Um, but in some ways it's misplaced, right? Because that is what it, a lot of this movie is about, right? That Martin mm-hmm. Sheen has incorporated him into the school system to benefit from him. Josh Hardnett is sort of, it is still Josh Hardnett's house, right? In a sense, because he is still like manipulating everyone. However, it is also like the movie's like um, MO to some extent, because we can talk about this more, whatever. Um, You know, I think one of the difficulties of like adapting Shakespeare is that like if you too patly do it, it just doesn't make sense. Right. Because I think, you know, plays, drama generally, certainly Shakespearean plays, they frequently operate on the scale of like the tropological. Right. Like, so people, when when you are operating on that level, like, yeah, people can turn to murder quickly. Misunderstandings can sort of rapidly reproduce, things like that. But when you drop them into, like, a current day high school context, like, it just sort of allows the trope to morph into, like, a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And so what the movie ends up ultimately doing is, like, affirming a lot of really kind of insidious stereotypes about black men, right? That they, by the end of the movie, it's proven that like, yeah, they actually, they do have an overly violent nature and he does, he is overly sexual and all those things that, you know, all those rumors and stereotypes about black men are ultimately true. Like Josh Hartnett had to push him a little bit, but we we got to the truth at the end of the day. And like, Mm -hmm. that's, I don't know. That was like tough to wrap my mind around. Yeah, it's so simplistic. That's the problem. Right, because that's, yeah, that's exactly it. It's like, yeah, okay, he becomes, like, 
so Josh Hartnett finally convinces him that Desi is cheating on him. A 21st century black man would then dump her. He would not murder right. her. And like the film does not know how to escalate things to a way where it makes sense for him to murder her. And so it just doesn't even bother trying to. It's just like, well, it's Shakespeare, guys. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that's what happens in the script. So obviously it happens in the movie. Like, no, like, think it about... It was horrifying to watch, right? And other it, ways. Yeah. yeah. And it also in yeah. love, does a lot of the work of undoing him as a tragic figure, right? Because, like, we do not... We, we, you, there's no way to approach this movie in which you can sort of accept that, like, him murdering her is um, uh, an understandable response. And I right. suppose you could say the same thing about the original play, except, to, I think, to my point, because, like... These aren't meant to be like full. They are. They're sort of abstracted characters, and it's on the stage. I think we allow for a different sort of um, well, a reality. different sort of yeah, exactly of of subjectivity, right? Like there is a delimited subjectivity in Shakespearean rep- representations, right? Like there kind of has to be because yeah. it's you know two hours traffic on the stage or a little bit more than that. Um, but in a film, what you can do is through setting and through dialogue and you know like through these like more kind of personal touches um bring bring to the fore certain kind of qualities of characters but like we the only thing the film does (laughs) to establish this like for iago's character is the hawk thing you know what i mean like it's 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 (laughs) i always wanted to fly (laughs) it's like okay it's a cop out it's yeah yeah it's like a it's a super weird way to intimate yeah like like i said like these characters just like they can't match um x for x and y for y in terms of you know analogies with the original source text because otherwise like things don't translate into modern day southern california or southern carolina basketball right Right, it's the same thing with like misunderstanding right like misunderstandings can operate much more acceptably on the stage. But when you transport them to a real-life situation, all the viewer can do is go, wait, if this were real life, you would just do X, Y, and Z, and then you'd have it all figured out. Right. And so it's hard to chalk it up. It feels like too simplistic, and it feels like um, condescending to be like, well, no, the misunderstanding persists because high school kids only gossip. That's all they know how to do. (laughs) You know, and you're like, well, no. There's also, so let's talk about, very briefly, the minor character Rodrigo, or Roger. Raj, yeah, um, who, so in the play, yeah, like, I'm sorry, but no, like, kid that gets, you know, like, that has all of this money and is obsessed with a girl, I seriously doubt then he's gonna, like, fall for this really, really elaborate plan. It made no sense at Absolutely all. none. Can where I ask a quick question? Like, actually, yeah. like, um, I couldn't follow, and I need you to explain to me. How did Odin originally find out that Roger was the one who accused him of rape in the beginning? Um, that is unclear. That is not made clear at all. Because, like, he cuts to, like, him in the, the office and then him beating up Roger. Right. There's no... Yeah, there's no... No, that that is not explained. Okay. <laughs> okay. I like, yeah, I'm thinking back. No, that is not made clear at all. But I mean, maybe they assume it because they do bully him. Um, maybe I he don't know. He but... slaps him across the face too, which was yeah. <laughs> surprising. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just like I mean, in in a modern context, that character 
uh, Rodrigo to Roger does not make sense to me at all. Like that, I just was like baffled by how, like, I'm sorry, no one would be like giving, um, you know, Harson's, let's just call him his character's name, Hugo. Hugo. I couldn't remember his name. Thank you. Um, which like sounds, you know, like you're, it's clear they're like doing the clever thing where they're like, it sounds like Iago kind of. Um, anyways, like gives them all of this money for nothing. I I couldn't figure that out. Like, why did he keep giving him money? Like, I couldn't understand their relationship wherein Roger would want to just, he's like, this is my last hundred dollars. And then uh, Hugo's like, well, then I guess you're gonna have to max out your credit cards. And he's like, oh man, you know. But like, (laughs) like, why? Yeah. What is he spending money on? The only thing I can gather, and this is another thing I really wanted to talk to you about, was the, like, introduction of, like, steroids and drugs in this Oh, that was too hard to watch. Was that, like, just because we're talking about teenagers... And especially a black teenager, we have to introduce drugs into this as well. Well, like, so, why? I mean, drugs, like, uh, are, are prevalent in, you know, like, um, elite boarding schools, right? And colleges, right? We know that. Um, but I think they kept, they kept, um, especially in the beginning, referring to Odin's past, where he maybe had a drug problem at some point. But then I was like, his past, he's like 17 right now. <laughs> like, when did Yeah. He... Also, speaking and of like... which, this is such a digression. I apologize already in advance, but I couldn't screenshot this because Amazon doesn't let you screenshot. I was watching it on Amazon. And um, <laughs> in the very beginning, when Odin scores that, like, basket with, like, one second left, and all yeah. the other basketball players, like, rush the, uh, the court to celebrate. <laughs> right behind Martin Sheen is another player who is actually, like, maybe 16. <laughs> and he looks so insanely young. And it's so funny seeing, like, an actual 16-year-old, like, celebrating with a bunch of, like, 25-year-olds who are pretending to be 16. Uh, I was actually going to mention, like, there's, for no reason, during the games... There's this like kid that Martin Sheen keeps yelling at named Todd, and we don't actually know who Todd is. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, Todd, Todd. And I was like, who is this Todd? We need that to keeps, know. He's like fucking up the games, but like we never actually yeah. meet him. It's so great that he's just like, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> also, I wrote at one point Martin Sheen's desk swiping game is weak. When he tries oh, to th- when he tries to swipe everything off his desk, he takes like three runs at it and still only gets maybe twenty five percent of the stuff off. You know what we could compare that to is the time that we swiped candy off the table. <laughs> you mean that would have been instructive to Martin Sheen? He could have learned I mean, a thing or two. We were we were livid. Um, uh, never forget. Anyways, yeah, but Roger. Never. Roger. So um, there is a scene though yeah. where he goes. He He's says so uninteresting. Oh, completely. Sorry. No, don't. No, you're fine. Um, but he says at one point to Hugo, he says, "I need to know where this is going," which is great because that's he's like becomes at least yeah. briefly crystallized in that that moment as like an audience proxy. But it also sounds right. weirdly romantic, right? Where it's <laughs> like that's what you say to someone you're dating. I need to know where yeah. this is going, and it is a question. So it becomes about like the like Hugo's plot, the plot of the movie, and about like how we are even to characterize their relationship. Like, what is bringing them and keeping them together? Like, where are they going is, together? Yeah, it is. It's very strange, and it's like, how does Roger like just obey him and adore him to such an extent? Is it that you know Hugo is popular, 
And therefore, like, this poor kid will kind of take any lifeline he can get and go to such extremes. Well, he has a crush on Desi, and he's like, oh, I'm going to get you, Desi. But surely, like, even, like, a high school, like, someone who is in the status of being, like, a loser, like, is going to know better. Like, use your eyes and go, okay, it does not seem like he's actually... Right. What he's doing is working. Right. And also, like, we don't see him in the movie desiring Desi and right. I, I mean there's there's certain t- like we're, we're on a like limited time yeah we got 90 here. minutes here <laughs> yeah I understand that but like that was not developed at all to the extent where like you're like oh okay like he loves her so much that he's going to murder you know Michael and he's gonna you know like there's it's really confusing like okay why did you yeah he was going like, to murder him Yes, which I get and make like, it look like a suicide. And there's also there's too many contingencies, right? Like, so we're supposed to watch that scene, which is awful. Like, it's, Michael is a douchebag. Where he is Andrew Keenan. He is like flicking Roger in the ear, Keegan. Yeah, flicking him in the ears and calling him all kinds of like homophobic slurs. And Roger, his face is sort of falling, right? And he's trying not yeah. to cry. Um, and then we're supposed to go like, oh, that's why he agrees to kill him, but. You, it's just, again, Hugo could not have counted on that happening. And there's too much that we know just about the psychology of, like, normal human beings that you could be super angry and want to even get back or want to kill someone and still not agree to kill someone, like, legitimately. Right. right. Like, it's not like he kills him in that moment. Yeah. Which would make more sense. Yeah. He's, you know, like, oh... Sure, Hugo, I'll do this really elaborate, really expensive, you know, like, very drawn-out, implausible plan instead. Right. That's how I'll get Desi, which, again, you know, um, it's just, it's completely bonkers. Um, And so we'll say what happens when the plan goes awry. Okay, sure. You mean, like, what happens at the end of the movie? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, So, obviously... um, Hugo has this very elaborate plan where Odin is going to go strangle Desi. Um, and meanwhile, he and yeah, Mike... Yeah, he's convinced Odin at this point that Mike is... That, that Desi's cheating on him with Mike. Mm-hmm. And kind of laughing about it very flippantly in a really humiliating right. way. Right. Um, and so he's... Um, Odin's on, you know, his mission. And meanwhile, he is going to go with Mike... And Roger is going to fake being injured on the side of the road. Um, and they're going to stop and, you know, see what's wrong with whoever this is. But, of course, Roger messes it up because um, Michael starts fighting back before he's able to shoot him and gets the gun away. And then Roger <laughs> uh, shoots him in the leg, which was, like, so, like, just such a ridiculous way to, like, represent <laughs> This classic Roger uh, classic <laughs> shooting him in the leg and anyways so um, I um, I actually don't remember do we see what happens to Michael like does he survive we never see him again yeah like that so in and, the and Hugo, in the play I know Hugo he survives sh- yeah Cassio doesn't die in the play right he gives like that but, final denouncement but yeah um, Roger, then Hugo has to kill Roger to, like, make this story, like, plausible. Right. So he says, oh, what happened was Roger hit Michael, you know, with the crowbar and then, or the tire iron, rather, and then Michael in turn shot and killed Roger. 
Right. Um, but so one... Meanwhile, Odin has strangled Desi. But then one thing I thought... Like, this was just, like, really difficult to watch, given, yeah. like, what we know about active shooters, is that yeah. then he basically has the entire house under, you know, under his sway for a little while, right? So it's not just that, like, Desi is dead, you know, and that's it. I'm done. But there's this, like, legitimate panic throughout the entire dorm where Odin has a gun, you know what I mean? And it's just like this, it's... It, that moment for me was like the scariest moment. I well, guess. Well, scariest to, to me because I thought it was all the murders of the play or the movie were going to be pinned on him. I thought mm-hmm. that was going to be like the movie's final misunderstanding. And so the reason he has a gun though is because um, Hugo runs back to the dorm. He's going to try and make the case that he just witnessed this fight between Mike and Roger, and they killed each other. Blah blah blah. Um, he rushes upstairs to find M actually walking in on Hugo having just killed Desi. Right. And then she starts to piece together the ways in which Hugo has orchestrated this. And so she calls out Hugo on the fact that like he has tried to trick Odin into believing all this stuff and that he convinced her to steal the handkerchief, um, which was like originally Odin's in his, it was a family heirloom he gave to Desi. Josh Hart, Hugo panics, pulls out his gun and shoots M, which was shocking. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's from there that, like, Odin gets the gun. Right. And then there's that moment where the entire house is, like, screaming. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but then we do get his final monologue, which is beautiful, where he says, you know, when you tell my story, like I talked about at the beginning of this episode, um, which I do think, like, of, you know, the performances, of the problems in this movie, like, that is... He's... That is Mackay Pfeiffer least, is great in this movie. Yes. Yeah, he is. And that's at least a very... Um, emotionally powerful moment. You know what I mean? So it but is the, like the, that. It's also the height of me. irony, though, because the movie does not tell his story in that way. The movie keeps looking right. for excuses to like ratify all of these sort of um, yes. awful claims about, like, well, here's how black people really are, essentially, when you go, okay, like, well, he had to be pushed, but he, he was finally able to get carried away sexually and to be overly violent. And so he's and like begging like- to have his story told, but to watch him reach that monologue we first have to wade through these more like pernicious stereotypes that's so right and you know what else is interesting is that um the only person left to tell his story really is hugo who has made his famous vow of silence yes um thank goodness though i'm like so sick at at this (laughs) point like he he should shut up like i hope he like remains in prison with his hawk forever (laughs) I hope his hawk is allowed to be in prison with him for no fucking reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, does M live, by the way? Could we? I was trying to. I couldn't figure out if if she had been killed or I not. I think she dies. Okay. I, I know she, she dies, dies in the play, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's not. It's upsetting again to see teens die, to see teens kill teens, because being on the other side of things, like being now like in my thirties and looking back and realizing mm-hmm. how inconsequential so much of like teen drama is. Like, to think that it could be actually taken to, uh, or given mortal stakes, is, like, a really upsetting thing to see. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's true. Like, that's the the world we live in now, yeah. right? Is that um, these these rot passions that we have as teenagers, which we all experience, like, we all despair as teenagers at certain points, right? But the, mm-hmm. the means, of course, for reacting to those in this movie does show this, is that 
they those are so easily obtainable you yeah. know what i mean um also like i feel they need to say we... one more time like or maybe for the first time i can't remember if i said this yet they we find in the movie they've been dating for four months right it wasn't it's not even as though they've been dating all through high school together or prep right. school like it's four months. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not. This is not like an ingrained. And like, we do see, you know, Odin like semi propose to her and he gives yeah. her the shawl that's semi proposed to her with the rubber band ring. Oh, yeah. And she's like, that's but, the sweetest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so I think, Sam, though, we have to, though, as uncomfortable as it's going to be, we do have to talk about the sex slash rape scene Ugh. very quickly yeah um or not very quick like however long but like it is um definitely what made this movie R. I mean they do say fuck a few times as well yeah. but like definitely this was and i so just to set the scene odin and desi odin is already suspicious of her um hugo has already implanted some intimations that michael is messing around with Desi. And she's um, already but, lost the scarf and he knows it. Right. Yeah. So um because M has taken it out of, you know, misguided loyalty to Hugo. Uh and so are they, they go to a dating hotel. Or are they just like hooking up? Like I couldn't understand what their dynamic was. I think they're supposed to be dating. Okay. I think that they just spend so little time sharing any scenes. Right. <laughs> right. I think it's just that he treats her like shit, basically, and doesn't care. Um, So they go to, uh, Desi and Odin go to a motel, and uh, she is sitting there naked on him, and she says, I want you to have me the way that you want to. Like, I want you to, you know, like, not not hold back, like, express, like, your true desires, right? Um, And, of course, like, any teenage boy hearing that would be like, all right, you know, <laughs> like, this is great. Um, so they start having sex it, and it's Yeah, instead it's we fine. get, like, the tamest sex scene for 75% of it that I've ever seen. Yeah. But then he, as he's, he's on top of her, he looks up into the mirror and at first he sees himself, you know, uh, in between her legs, basically. And then it morphs into Michael... <laughs> Um, or Andrew Keegan's that stupid uh, smile. body. Ugh. He's so, like, he's the, like, cheesiest looking yeah. human being. He, yeah, just, he really is. Yeah. It's horrible. And so then he starts being more and more rough, and she starts screaming, like, stop, stop, stop. Ugh. And so, of course, that is rape. That is rape. Well, and she starts, moment. like, screaming in pain, too, which is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's, so it's really difficult to watch. And then what makes it even more difficult is that as she's telling in this narrative later, she's like, it wasn't like he raped me. And it's like, yes, it is. It's just that you don't have the, the sensibility or the, the vocabulary to describe it as rape. But indeed that was rape. Right. I think that's, I think this, I do think, you know, Julia Stiles is fine. I think she is a limited actress, but she does find the movie. But I think that she does, or this characterization does help us or encourage us to sort of inhabit her perspective in a way that like Othello, the play does not, right? And we think about like what this, how disorienting it is to be in love with someone who treats very well for all we can see, then to suddenly have them, um, yeah, commit rape essentially, and not essentially, to definitively commit rape 
to treat you terribly and then to strangle you. I mean, like the sort of confusion that must that like defines like her life in the period of the play is profound. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think I mean that's certainly <laughs> the way that Shakespeare presents it as well. And right? I think is there could have been like, a way in. So actually, I'm so sorry. Up. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Yeah, no, go for it. No, that could have been such a way to to rethink this play too, is to think about the experience of being like a woman in high school, right? And mm-hmm. really understanding like what it means to have to reconcile all the fantasies of romance that you were given as sort of like a socializing education as a kid, to have to reconcile them with the sort of realities of how awful like high school guys or guys generally can be. You know, like, I think that's a really compelling way to think about what it means to, like, rethink Othello (laughs) in a high school context, right? To have expanded that out would have been, uh, I don't know, a good thing Michael's character exemplifies this so well, where he's like, Midge, she's a total slut, you know? Like, he's constantly, um, he's like the womanizer, right? Like, he's at a party with his arms around three different girls (laughs) at the same time, and you're like, cut it out. You're such a douche. Mm -hmm. Also... This is so digressive, I'm sorry, but why was he the only character in this entire movie to have a southern accent? (laughs) It's a real question. Yeah, in South Carolina. (laughs) Yeah. My mom is going to be mad at me because I got kicked off the team. I couldn't even, I kept being like, wait, is that an accent? Like, I I genuinely could not decide, like, for that first half of the movie. It was so strange, and it, like, comes and goes. It's really weird. It's so weird. I want to uh, see him in a scene with Juliet's mom in the Baz Luhrmann film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That would be unwatchable. Yeah, that would exactly. Not be, not be palatable at all. Nope. So overall, I would say this movie, like, it's something that I would think I might teach in the future, but I would have to heavily contextualize it first. Um, and, you know, like really really caution students against making these these quick like you know x is like y kind of thing like i've mm-hmm. said constantly throughout this podcast today is that like there's the the analogical thinking can only get you so far in adaptation and then you really do have to be much more clever you have to be like baz Lerman. you have to like have <laughs> The gun be called the sword. You no, know what I mean? I, like I that think, yeah. sort of thing. And you're right to compare them because I think that ultimately, yes, it is. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet is an adaptation, just a restaging of the Shakespearean play. So it's an opportunity to experience Shakespeare. It is also, he's also, I think, using Shakespeare to elucidate something about the experience of being a teenager. And that is the sort of like overwhelming passion right an overwhelming emotion that attends sort of first love right sure. and so it's, yeah. it's 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 a two-way thing right so you're it's working on both levels right where it is it's doing do, like justice to shakespeare and doing justice to its contemporary sort of teen setting here i think that's where this movie falls is that it does not know how to do justice to the experience of being a teenager in a south carolina prep school or the experience of being a black man in like a predominantly white space um exactly. and i think that's where yeah it, it falls short and i think to your point though yeah. like that is one of the gifts of adaptation though like i love that that actually you know like seeing the analogy or the analogical fail is tremendous fun too like it's because it, mm. it tips you off to all these things that you need to be thinking about more yeah agreed agreed okay yeah 
Not yet. Beautifully put. Oh, and likewise. Um, I, I would be so curious to hear, though. Like, I bet you'd have really great conversations come out of teaching this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about, like, my dream course is actually, like, a Shakespeare class where we get to read more than just Shakespeare. We get to read, like, a few other authors, but then we get to watch adaptations as well. And so, anyways, that would, be, that would be my dream. Awesome. Um, anyways. I don't know. Do you have any so other uh, for, uh, final parting thoughts on O? No. Just, like, not recommended. <laughs> like, overall, uh, like, if you're if you're looking for something, you know, like, on a date night or something like that, just... Uh, yeah, try you know. something else, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Notting Hill. <laughs> <laughs> something light. But, um, dude, we're, we're in it. We're getting more Julia Stiles next week because we're doing the Ethan Hawke Hamlet adaptation. Yes. And I yes. just watched the trailer for it. It is... One of the worst trailers I've ever seen in my life, but oh, yeah. I'm still excited it's, to see it. This is gonna be it's gonna be a ride, Sam. It's gonna be gonna be exciting. Oh God. Um, but it's it's good that we are so like I like we talked about earlier. We're removing from like we're starting with like the really heavy stuff, like the heavy adaptations, the tragedies. Tragedies um, first. And it really like it makes sense to me that we're moving from um, a very like confusing protagonist but one who is like influenced by his environment to one that is also very confusing in hamlet but like for no reason (laughs) (laughs) so it's gonna be a lot of fun i promise um i can't wait oh good dude i had no idea kyle mclaughlin's in it yes oh can't wait oh yeah our baby boy oh yeah so anyway, though, thinking beyond Shakespeare, what are you obsessed with this week? Um, well, I talked about the Balzac novel that I mm-hmm. <laughs> was obsessed with. Um, so I am obsessed with um, this other novel that I have just finished, um, like, yesterday. Um, I'm, like, going, so I'm, like, mixing up my genres and trying to like fill in gaps, but also just like find stuff that I really enjoy. Uh, so I read Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere. Oh, I've um, read that. Yeah, it's a really like kind of cute yeah. uh, fantasy like journey novel, basically. Uh, it's not too long and it's just like, it's just like genuinely fun to read. It was just like, I don't know, like yeah, absolutely. clever, but also like well-written, not profound in any sort of way, but... And you know, it's just yeah. a matter of time before that gets adapted, because his oh, books, yeah. I feel like, are blowing up right now. Oh, yeah, he's like everywhere right now, so um, that will definitely happen, but yeah, it was a good, you know, just like, I don't want to say like summer read, because that tends to like like denigrate works of literature for some reason, Like, but it was genuinely like a good, like relaxing novel to to check out so yeah and so sam what are you what are you obsessed with i mean i feel like i have a bunch of obsessions but i'm gonna narrow myself down to two one is just a quick one it's a plug for i know like everyone in the world already listens to my favorite murder and they don't need any more press but um episode 129 which came out a couple weeks ago it's called coincidence island I have to plug this because it's Karen's story. So I think George, or I'm sorry, no, it's not Karen's story. Karen goes first. Um, they're both picking stories based on like Hawaii. 
And so Karen talks about a Hawaiian serial killer, the first. And then Georgia ends up, it's not even necessarily like a murder narrative. It is just one of the craziest, funniest stories I've ever heard in my life. And the fact that it's true and like historical is wild to me. It is about a bunch of eccentric people who all on their own end up all going to the same Hawaiian island trying to create like a utopic society. (laughs) And (laughs) so one is like a follower of Nietzsche who marries this woman, takes her out there and then convinces her that they have to dedicate themselves to being herbivores so stringently that they have to remove their teeth and share a pair of dentures. And then there's, I know, and then there's someone else, a woman, a baroness who like settles on the island and spends her days um, with a, 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 like a rifle, like wounding animals so that she can heal them back to health and intercepting everyone's mail before it leaves the island and rewriting their letters to put herself at the center of all the letters. (laughs) And it just gets weirder from there. It was so funny. Like they can barely get through the story because they're laughing and I haven't heard a story quite that weird in some time. So Uh, I have to recommend it. Um, And then the other thing I'm going to recommend is like this hilarious NBC comedy called Trial and Error. So the first season was a spoof on the true crime series, The Staircase. And it was really funny. I liked it a lot. Season two is even better. It's actually really like coming to its own. It feels like the show that is going to fill that Parks and Rec sized hole in my heart. Like it's, it Aww. feels very much like along the cut from the same cloth and it's really funny. So I That's recommend that. That's good to know because we definitely need something like that now. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like we've been kind of piss poor on television offerings for a few weeks so exactly we need something funny and optimistic and that's this Mm, okay cool all right well billy zane i'm glad you were not in this movie (laughs) oh yeah i shudder to think what role you would try to play in this i know it would be sad Mm -hmm. um so thank goodness um and yeah we'll see you next week with uh some hamlet hamlet sounds good see you then (laughs) Bye. Bye.